It's the second part, second of a two-part series called uh, Two Journeys. And last week I explained that in Christianity, um, two things are on the move, the believer and the gospel. The believer is on a journey from salvation to glorification, and it's a journey towards perfection. And the gospel is also on a journey. It's on a journey from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, and it's a journey towards completion. Uh, These two journeys fairly represent the crucial things that God is doing in the world and that God wants us to participate in. Sanctification is what he's doing in us, and yet 2 Peter 1 tells us to make every effort, to employ ourselves in pursuing holiness. And salvation is what God is spreading through us. It is his work, but he employs us in its spread. And that's what we're thinking about today. The gospel is on a journey from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And in God's perfect wisdom, we're the transport, each and every one of us. No one can claim exemption. There are no passengers in this journey. Every single one of us is a courier. And let me start just by asking a question, how does that make you feel? That God places the gospel in your heart, not just for your salvation, but with the responsibility to pass it on. I think it's fair to say that many people feel daunted at this prospect. Many of us take a deep intake of breath and kind of puff out the cheeks at the the anxiety. You know, whether it's a a view that we have about our personality, or I'm just too much of an introvert to talk to people about this, or whether we think about some of the people we know and we think, wow, they would just go crazy if I started talking to them about this, or anything in between. Many of us start wondering if a plan B could be concocted. You know, a, a plan that would wonderfully create the possibility of delegation get someone else to do it, even pay someone else to do it. But there is no plan B, because God doesn't do plan Bs. And with the imminent start of our One Question for God series and the ongoing plight of our, the people in our city, a city full of lost people, I am convinced that as a church family, though we do well in many respects, we need courage in our task. We need courage to do it more. And I'd like to show you today how meditating on the journey of the gospel itself in the book of Acts gives us confidence and courage in this task. So let's turn to the very beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, verse 1 to 8, and then we'll read Acts 28. And before we read it, let's pray together. Our Father, you have said that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the message of Christ May you give and strengthen faith today so that all may be happily employed in this work of passing on the gospel to all. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts 1, reading from uh, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proof that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. 
For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Flick over to Acts 28. And we'll read verses 30 and 31. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's 1127. Luke continues. Uh, Luke is commenting on the life of Paul here and his ministry. And he says, verse 30, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Amen. This is God's word. So simple outline today, uh, two parts to it. Uh, I want us to see, first of all, that the gospel is on an unhindered journey and that that should make us, secondly, an undaunted people. So unhindered journey undaunted people. First of all, the unhindered journey. The gospel is on an, a journey, and the book of Acts demonstrates for us that it's an unstoppable and successful journey. If you go back again to Acts chapter 1 verse 8, I want to show you something important. Uh, before the journey of the gospel is mapped out, Jesus is actually going to show us how the gospel will travel, how it's going to be transported. And this is the risen Jesus speaking. He's just about to ascend to heaven. And his last words to this tiny band of followers are, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Now I want you to notice a very close link between what Jesus' followers receive and what Jesus' followers do. They receive the Holy Spirit and again and again and again in the book of Acts, we see what that enables them to do, to be witnesses. There is a direct link between filling and speaking. Now, they are described as witnesses and that's important. What do witnesses do? Well, witnesses testify to the truth and that's, that's important. They speak about the things they've seen and heard. And that's how the gospel is transported. That's how it travels on its journey from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Through spirit-filled witnesses telling others the truth about Jesus. It's news, therefore we use words to share it. It's not just live a good life and hope that someone will have an interpretation of it that will bring them salvation. That doesn't work. It requires the sharing of the news. So that's how the gospel will travel. And the book of Acts really demonstrates this for us. That's exactly what his followers did. But Acts chapter 1 verse 8 has more to say. It not only tells us how the gospel will travel, it tells us where the gospel is going. The journey of the gospel is mapped out for us here. Look again at Acts 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, 
Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And there's the journey right there. The sat-nav is set. The ends of the earth is a destination. And the rest of Acts shows us really that that's the journey that the gospel began to take. Let me just give you a flyover, an overview of the book of Acts so we can see this for ourselves. In Acts chapter Acts 1 to 6, you read about the gospel spreading throughout Jerusalem. In Acts 2, we read that it all started with a small band of very daunted believers uh, holed up in a room somewhere, afraid to go out, but somehow, in some way, appreciating and clinging to the promise that they're about to be clothed with power. They were to wait for Jesus. They had this commission to go and make disciples. But every one of them was filled with the Spirit, and immediately they get the gospel moving. The doors burst open, and preacher Peter preaches at Pentecost and the gospel is already on the move. They're declaring the mighty works of God in lots of different languages, by the way, which is telling you exactly where it's intended to go and 3,000 people believe immediately. In chapters three to six, you find these Christians and a whole range of them, they are these gospel transporters doing two things. One, they tell the local authorities who are commanding them not to speak in the name of Jesus. They say, we won't stop. They say, we can't stop. And then we see them take steps to ensure that nothing, not sin within the church, nor even important church matters like uh, the dispersion of food and aid to the widows should get in the way of that number one objective for the life of the church, passing the gospel on transporting it to the ends of the earth. And at the end of this section in 1 to 6, Luke, the author of Acts, inserts this refrain that we find repeated throughout the book. It serves as a milestone for us, or if you like in musical terms, it's a chorus repeated again and again to remind us of that important thing, that the gospel is on a journey so we read in Acts 6, verse 7, the word of God, that is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Okay, so that's Jerusalem. Then in chapters 7 to 12, we find the gospel journeying north and south into Judea and Samaria. God's people are scattered, not as a result of strategy, but of persecution. And Stephen became the first Christian martyr, and people were scattered and fled everywhere. But not even persecution and the prospect of execution could stop these people from transporting the gospel further. It did not make them close their mouths. As we see in these, this section, Philip, led by the Spirit, found himself in both places. Samaria first, then on the road south to Judea. Where, by the way, he shares the gospel with an Ethiopian who believes, who then takes the gospel to Africa. The gospel's on the move. Peter goes to Caesarea, called to the house of someone he thinks there's no possible way that God's grace to extend to a person like this, this Roman centurion called Cornelius. And Peter, effectively, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says to God, he's, We're not, the gospel's not going there, is it? And God replies, again, paraphrasing, it's going there. It is spreading in that way. And then, of course, there is Saul who meets Jesus, who sends him to open the eyes of the nations. 
Fascinating to see this gospel on the move. It's going global already, and we're not even at chapter 13, not even halfway through the book. And it's obvious that God is orchestrating the whole thing. Not internal sin within the life of the church, not external persecution pressing down on the church can stop these people from opening their mouths and testifying to the truth about Jesus Christ everywhere. And in chapter 12, verse 24, what do we read? And the word of God continued to increase and spread. The journey is, the gospel is journeying on. Then in Acts chapter 13 to 28, we find the gospel making its way further afield into Asia and into Europe as it travels on its way to the ends of the earth. The gospel reaches Antioch. Antioch, the church there, becomes something like a sending base for church planters. And from there, the gospel reaches on into modern-day Turkey and on into Europe. And again and again, we find Luke's markers, chapter 19, verse 20, the word of God spread widely and grew in power. City after city, region after region, no matter what, Jesus' spirit-filled followers testified to the truth about him and the word of God spread, transported from soul to soul to soul to soul and on. More and more people in more and more places believed in Jesus. And the word of the gospel just kept going. Now the book of Acts itself ends in a way that shows you that the journey in fact isn't over. It ends quite abruptly. It's like one of those movies that finishes and you're just like, what? Is that it? I was like that when I watched Everest. Do you remember that film? It was out a few years ago. Everest, it looked epic on the trailer. You know, all these people climbing a mountain, they get into some serious difficulty. Now, I live in a steady diet of uh, Disney movies with the children that I've got, and so I was expecting some kind of happy ending, but they all died. I was like, what? Is that it? It ended very abruptly in that way. It was very sad. Well, the book of Acts ends abruptly, but it's not sad. It's actually encouraging. Because it shows us that the gospel is still on its journey. We might have questions. Oh, what was it like for Paul in Rome? What did he say when he stood before Nero? I'd love to hear about that. But not from the book of Acts. That's not its purpose. No, Acts 28, 31 said, Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And in the original language, these last two words are one word. It's the word if you like, in English, unhinderedly. The word of God spread unhinderedly. And it describes the ongoing journey of the gospel, and that's why the book feels unfinished. It's because the story's not yet over. It continues. It's continued throughout the centuries, throughout the generations, crossing from city to city, crossing borders and nations, even to the point that 
in 2018, it's come to people like us in Edinburgh. And the crucial takeaway for us is this, that the gospel is on a journey from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, transported by witnesses just like us, no one special, just everybody who's believed it for themselves. It's orchestrated by God, this spread, and nothing can stop it. Nothing. Not internal sin. Not persecution. Not church politics. Nothing can stop it. Do you believe that? Do you really believe it? Does our evangelism say that we believe it? Does the way we have structured and set up our church say we believe it? These are crucial questions to get clarity on, aren't they? Don't we want to be doing the best we possibly can on the most important things? As a church, as believers, with the way we spend our time, allocate our resources, spend our money. These are crucial questions. The encouragement for us, though, brothers and sisters, is that the gospel is on this journey. An unstoppable and unhindered journey from Jerusalem as it started to the ends of the earth, orchestrated by God, the Holy Spirit working in us, filling us so that we can speak about the glories of Jesus Christ and see other people believe it for themselves. Okay, seeing all of that from the book of Acts, what should this make us? This unhindered journey of the gospel should make us an undaunted people. An undaunted people, this is point two, are people who speak the truth then with boldness. Because when your conviction is that the gospel is on the move, as the Spirit testifies through you, you do what Paul was doing in Acts chapter 28, verse 31. You proclaim it boldly. Now, what kind of boldness are we talking about? Because boldness can be a vice, can't it? We can, oh, that person's very bold, we might say. You know, that Zlatan Ibrahimovic, he's quite bold. But we don't mean that in a, as it's a virtue. It's a vice. It's an arrogant kind of thing. So what kind of boldness are we talking about? Well, John Stott helpfully says, boldness, it's being candid with no concealment of truth, clear with no obscurity of expression, and confident with no fear of consequences. I wonder if that describes our conversations with people about Jesus. Does that describe the way that we interact with the people around us? I've tried to assess my own attempts to share the gospel recently with people using these uh, criteria, and I actually found I'm often the opposite. I wonder if you'll associate with this. I mean, I can be, instead of being uh, candid I can be dishonest really not because I'm lying but just because I'm fudging the truth maybe I'm worried about offending someone or I can be instead of being clear I can find myself easily being unclear fumbling my explanation of something because I've not been responsible enough in preparing a response to the kind of things I anticipate will come up in conversation or instead of being 
confident, I can be timid, fearful of the consequences of my speaking. I'm too worried about me and my reputation than I am about their eternal destiny. What an unloving thing to do. But the question I want all of us to think about today is this. What difference does it make that the gospel is on this unstoppable journey, a journey mapped out by Jesus and outworked by the Holy Spirit? A journey that will go on towards completion. I want to argue today that this this makes all the difference when we take hold of that by faith. It makes all the difference. It means that we'll not be ashamed of who we are or of what we believe as Christians. We'll not be prepared to let anyone go unwarned, even if it means sacrificing our reputation or a position within a friendship circle or within a job situation, whatever. We'll be determined to testify of the love of Jesus and to do it out of love for him and out of gratitude for the fact that, well, he made the gospel come to us in the first place. That was very gracious of him. And it means that we will resolve not to let anyone stop us or to put us down by anything that they say. We'll take our stand, unapologetically so, and say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the most important thing in all existence. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Thinking about this just now, strangely, always makes me think of a song from The Greatest Showman. Has anyone seen The Greatest Showman movie? It's that musical. What is Wolverine doing singing songs? That's what I want to know. But Hugh Jackman's in this movie, right? Okay, and there's a song in it called This Is Me. My kids hate it, but I love it. I turn it up in the car. And it's become a bit of an anthem for us over the summer. And I like the, I like the words. It's meaningful to me as a Christian. <laughs> Bear with me. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's sung by this, this, this bun- bunch of misfits, really rejected by society for being different in all sorts of ways. And the first verse of it talks about their experience. You know, they say, oh, I'm not, a stra- I'm not gonna sing it. I'm not a stranger to the dark. Hide away, they say, because we don't want your broken parts. So this is what culture is saying to people who are different. I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say. No one will love you as you are. And then the bridge in the song talks of their resolve. I won't let them break me down to dust. I know that there's a place for us, for we are glorious. And then the chorus talks about what they'll do, no matter what people say about them. When the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood, I'm going to drown them out. I am brave, there's a courage. I am bruised, not doing it because I'm awesome. I am who I'm meant to be. This is me. And then it's like they're declaring to the whole world, look out, because here I come. And I'm marching to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. (laughs) 
Who would have thought at Charlotte Chapel you would get an exposition of Keila Settle? This is me this morning. But do you get what I'm saying? In the same way, we're a band of misfits rejected by society for having different beliefs. But our resolve, and that's what makes us timid, doesn't it? But our resolve is that we won't be daunted in this mission. And because of that, we make no apologies for who we are. We'll say, you know that person who believes in a creator God who made human beings in his image and likeness and rescued them from a plight of hell through the death and the resurrection. Yes, the resurrection, that's what I said. Rescues them from eternal hell and grants them eternal salvation in the presence of Jesus Christ and his angels. Yes, I said angels. I believe in angels. And we'll resolve and stand firm and say, this is what we believe. No apology. This is me. We're bold. Clear. Candid. Confident. So let's get practical. What should boldness look like? Well, I'll tell you briefly what it looked like from Acts 17. You don't need to turn there because I'm going to whiz through it. But in Acts 17, you see Paul's, if you like, his disciple-making methodology. This is how he goes about it. This is what boldness looks like on a page in Acts. And there are four things. You engage with people, engage people's minds, open God's word, and proclaim God's salvation. Engage with people. That's what he did. When he went to Thessalonica, he was intentional about where he went to spend his time. He wanted to be a part of the people's lives there, and, and he was intentional about it. That's what we ought to do. How are you spending your time? Let's be intentional about the people we spend our time with. Let's not live in a Christian bubble. Secondly, engage people's minds. We find that when Paul went to the people he intentionally went to meet, that he reasoned with them. That's an important word, reason. He encouraged people to think. Help people to see that they don't need to leave their brains behind them to become a Christian. Help people to see that faith isn't just some blind leap in the dark, but actually a well-informed step based on the knowledge of God's. And three, open God's word. Don't just reason with them from experience or in response to their views. Open the Bible and show them what God says. Read it, explain it. Help them to see how, it, how coherent it is for themselves. I love seeing that on people's faces when they first grab it. Wow, this makes sense. That fits in with what it says there. It's like it's one big story with Jesus in the middle. Yeah. Fourthly, Proclaim God's salvation. This is what it all comes down to. This is why we try to find ways of being a meaningful part of other people's lives. This is why we engage people's minds with thoughtful contributions to whatever they're discussing. This is why we open God's word and try to set it out plainly. It's so that we can talk about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, that wonder of wonders, that the eternal one died to take away our sin. He's our substitute, taking our place. We deserve to die the death that he died. 
yet he shed his blood in our place and holds out to every single person in this world a free gift, a gift of grace, a gift of forgiveness, a gift of new life in him, where we live not for ourselves but for him and then become wonderfully wrapped up in this purpose of God in bringing glory to himself and to his beloved son through the spread of this news to all nations. And if you're here today, you're not a Christian, you're missing out on the greatest news ever. And if you're here today with someone who brought you, I want you to understand how much that person next to you loves you. They want you to hear this. Because in all reality, according to what the Bible says, the human malady is worse than cancer. It's worse than the worst news that you could possibly hear from a doctor. That's temporary. This is eternal. This, this is forever stuff. And they've loved you enough to tell you about this. Maybe they've been anxious about the extent to which they would get to the things that maybe we've been talking about today, but that's okay. Listen to what they say. Believe this good news of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection three days later, and you will be saved. Your sins can be forgiven and new life can be known in his name. Trust in him today. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you too will be saved. But this is what we do. We talk all the time about the cross and the resurrections, what we must always do. Because if anyone is going to be made right with God, we must show them that Jesus had to suffer to save them from hell. We have to. There's no getting around it. And it's not something we leave to other people. It's something we all have to do. The need out there is too great. Just take a moment and think about the people you know and love who don't know him right now. That right there is reason enough for you to be praying for boldness, asking for faith to grasp the whole point of what we're talking about today from Acts and to courageously declare it for yourself. So based on the description I've given on engaging with people, engaging people's minds, opening God's word and proclaiming God's salvation. Let me give you some homework. If you are in a position to share the message of salvation with someone, your homework this week is to go for it. Do it. Tell them about the cross and the resurrection. Unapologetically. It's who you are. It's what you believe. If you're not in a position to share the message of salvation with someone, your homework this week is to open God's word with them. If you're not at the stage of opening God's word with someone, then your assignment this week is to engage those friends in a discussion with a Christian take on whatever everyday subject has been spoken about. What does your worldview say about this subject? And if you're not at the stage of engaging people with a Christian take on everyday subjects, your homework this week is to be intentional about going out to find those opportunities. Because this is the way the gospel spreads. It is crucial to all that God is doing in this world to bring glory to himself. 
And since he's given us proof from his word that the gospel is on an an unhindered journey, let us really be undaunted in the task of transporting it. Yes? Let's pray.